0: If you would, turn in the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2. Last week we started chapter 2 and we went all the way through verse 10. Today we're going to start at verse 9 and we're going to go through the end of the chapter. My final point last week was, faith, was a faith-driven determination to make a difference. A faith-driven determination to make a difference. And I want that today to be the title of this whole message. The Bible teaches us that when we become Christians and children of God, that we have this bigger goal to everything we do in life that is to the praise of his name, to the glory of God. No matter what we're doing, whether we are doing a little job, whether we're doing a big job, whether we have little responsibility, a big responsibility, no matter whether we're playing or whether we're working, we are to do it for the glory of God. We're to do it for him. And what that means is it gives purpose to everything we are not the people that are indifferent about things in other words in short things matter to us because the name of God and the worship of God and the glory of God are at stake when you become a Christian you take it upon yourself to say I'm a representative of God I am wanting God to be displayed I'm wanting God to be known. I'm wanting God to be represented. I'm wanting God to be worshiped and praised and well represented through wherever I find myself. God has enlisted me in that. He's made me his. He's made me his ambassador. He's made me his co-laborer. He's made me his child. I bear his name. And so wherever I go, God goes. Whatever I do, God is seen in it. You and I, folks, are to feel that But as a healthy weight in our lives, like I get to do this, Jesus and God's glory give an ultimate meaning to life, which means that the impact or the influence, and I want to be very careful to use that word, the influence of one person can be mighty, can be great, I want to be careful to not let this message turn into just some inspirational message for you to go out and do good, better, best, and bigger and greater, and for you to go and conquer the world and, and all of that. There's such a danger in that, and, and, and you know that we feel that. We kind of live weekly and daily and all the time with that. The Tower of Babel is the ultimate example of that. A group of people doing good things, great potential. Great potential building, thriving, expanding, but doing it for their namesake. And God makes them an object lesson for all of history. He split them up, divided them up. He put a stop to it because it wasn't the glory of God that they were aiming for. It was the glory of themselves. But the Bible teaches us that when God in his praise becomes the very drive of our lives, that God will use us. We don't buy into how much he uses us. We don't care if it's a thousand lives impacted or one life impacted. I was reminded of that this week through First Timothy. We just started First Timothy on Wednesday and Thursday mornings and it's been awesome. It wasn't the influence of Timothy's dad that had such shape on his life. We make that emphasis a lot. Man, the impact of dads upon their sons and daughters spiritually is massive. But in Timothy's case, it's his dad that was missing. Timothy becomes the apprentice, the younger man, the mentee to the mentor, Apostle Paul. And 1 Timothy tells us that it was his mom and his grandmother that taught him from childhood, the scriptures. and Timothy would grow up to be a hero, an example for New Testament Christians and believers as we look to him. You better believe that Lois and Eunice, that's their names, it tells us that, had no idea that Timothy would even grow up to be a minister. They had no idea that Timothy would find the apostle Paul. They had no idea that Timothy would be named in the Bible, the eternal word of God that has been given for centuries to the world. That Timothy would become such a household name of Christian people. They didn't know that. But what they did know, that if God gives you a child, teach that child to know the love of God. Teach that child to know Christ. And so the impact or the influence that can come from one is huge. We see that there. In our passage today in Nehemiah 2, it goes a little bit in the other direction. It's the impact or influence of one, but it goes and impacts many. This morning, I want you to be reminded that if you will commit yourself to living by faith, if you will have a faith-driven determination to make a difference, then God, in more ways than you will ever know, will use your life. We're not looking for worldly results so that we can get patted on the back. Nobody cares how many people you've impacted. We don't give awards for that. Matter of fact, we don't give any awards for the glory of God. But we understand that God uses lives. And may God use Nehemiah's life today to impact yours. Read with me, if you will. Then I came to the two beginning in verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem." That we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalat the Oronite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, "The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in isn't it, Jerusalem." I said a couple weeks ago that the word of God is good, isn't it? And sometimes in these narratives, we read through them so quickly that we don't allow ourselves to kind of think and get the details. But man, this is a good story, and it's getting good. God is using Nehemiah. And he's using Nehemiah's faith, who he has determined, and God is doing something big through him. My first point this morning is preparing to work for God's glory. Preparing to work for God's glory. When we started this study a couple weeks back, I gave two warnings that I want us to be careful with. Nehemiah is a lot on leadership. I don't want this to come into a, I don't want this to become a lecture on leadership, okay? But I did emphasize that all of us are leaders of something, even if it's just you looking in the mirror, you need to be leading yourself well. Today's passage is really, really good on leadership. Nehemiah here is a thoughtful, he's a planner, he is. Seeking to do his best, and he takes time to consider many, many, many factors that will allow him to do his best, okay? There's a lot of leadership to be learned here in this passage in chapter 2. The other thing is, uh, let's make sure we keep it in context, Yes, Nehemiah is burdened to do something for his hometown, he wants to build the place, he wants to take care of it, but it is because Jerusalem is the place of God's people and it is very clear in the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah's motivation is God and and the glory of God and the praise of God. This is not a passage for you and I to kind of hijack, get away from Jesus and his glory and, and the real purpose of life and get over here and turn it into a motivational speech of how you can turn your little, your, your little world into something great. You've got to be careful with that and I don't want to miss that. Okay, I don't want that to happen. Nehemiah this morning is preparing to work for God's glory. Nehemiah here does something that if you weren't looking for it, you're like, wow, that's interesting. Nehemiah seems to be moving simply and quietly and peacefully. We remember all that we've read so far in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. He was working as the cupbearer to the king. The people came back from Jerusalem. He says, how are you doing? How did you find things there? They said, man, it's not good there. He was grieved and burdened. He prayed. He sat down. He fasted. He prayed for four months. He finds himself before the king one day, and the king says, why, why are you so sad? In his mind, he says, I haven't been looking sad. The king says, I know it's not sad on your face. It's sad in your heart. What's going on? Nehemiah answers back, why would I not be sad? My, my place and my people and the people of God are in shambles. It's a disaster up there in Jerusalem king says, what are you requesting? Nehemiah unloads with that quickie prayer. It says he prayed to God and answered the king. A quick glance of faith. faith Faith-driven determination to make a difference. a, A prayer under your breath as you speak to a man. The king then gives him permission and power and strength and army and horses to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. Our passage today shows us that Nehemiah is now there. But look what he's doing. Verse 11 says he was there three days. Verse 12 says he got up in the night, says he had a few guys with him. Verse 12 says he didn't tell anybody what he was doing, they don't know why he's there. They don't know why he's up in the middle of the night. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. He's already burdened to do something for God and for Jerusalem. He hadn't told anybody. He specifically points out that there was no animal with him except for the very one, the the workhorse, whatever that might have been, a horse or a donkey or something else. Meaning, I didn't have the, the, the workhorses with me. I didn't have the oxen and the cattle and whatever else does the work. It just seemed like I was there. Nobody knew. Verse 13 tells us with great detail some serious inspection, some evaluation, some counting the costs, some analyzation of what's the situation here, how bad is it, what are we going to need, is this going to be a week job, is this going to be a year-long job? I mean, how big of a deal is this? The preparation detail that we see here from Nehemiah is outstanding. The Bible teaches us church through and through, you don't rush into a decision, you don't rush into a job, you count the cost. When Jesus was pointing out how serious it is to be a follower of him, he made the emphasis of counting the cost. He said, what person among you would go and build a house if they haven't first gone and considered, well how much material is it going to take and How much wood do I need and brick do I need and stuff do I need and drywall do I need? And and how much is that going to cost? I mean, can I even afford it? Because how bad would it be for you to get halfway into building a house, run out of money, run out of material, and it be a total loss? Jesus told us that. But he didn't really teach us that so that we'd be good at building homes. He taught us that so we'd be faithful at living for Jesus. Don't you commit yourself to God if you're not going to understand what it means to live for God and turn from sin, and be light in the darkness, and obey him. That's important. We see this type of thoughtfulness here with Nehemiah, don't we? He's fired up. He's ready to go. He's been burdened for four months. Nehemiah makes it to Jerusalem finally. He's got the hand of God upon him. He's got the permission of the king behind him. He's got the strength. But for some reason, he's still just preparing, and that's awesome. He's taking his time, you might say. Verse 13 tells us he goes to the valley. The gates are broken down. In spring and into the dung gate, he's inspecting the walls there. They're broken down. The gates are broken down. It's been destroyed by fire. It's not good. Then he goes on, verse 14, to the fountain gate and into the king's pool. There was no room even for the animal that was on him to pass through. That shows it was really bad. Then he goes up in the night by the valley. and Verse 15, inspects the wall there, turns back, goes to the valley gate, and so he returned. Verse 16, after all that's happening, the officials did not know where that I had gone or what I was even doing. I had not yet told them, the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials. But look at this next phrase, and the rest who were to do the work. Nehemiah knew this was going to be a massive project. Nehemiah knew this was going to take a lot of people. He hadn't told anybody yet. He's moving in silence, you might say. He's preparing. This is a leadership lesson, isn't it? What you're going to do this week is going to take some preparation. You need to look at your calendar. You need to figure it out. What you're going to do next year is going to take some preparation. And what you're going to do with this life and all these children and a declining health and increasing bills is going to take some preparation. Church, we cannot be the people that feel indifferent to things, most particularly the things that matter to God. Jesus gives us purpose. The Bible says that we are a light on a hill to be seen. We are to do everything that we do for the glory of God. Jesus describes it as salt that is put there to make something have its flavor, to have its taste. When Jesus says that we are the salt, he even goes on to say that if the salt has lost its tastiness, what good is it for? We are to be people who take serious the responsibility that we have. And we're not the people that say we need a big responsibility for it to matter to God. We are the type of people that say even the smallest little things matter to God. Honesty, integrity, faithfulness, obedience, doing the remitator bets matters to God. We must take these things serious. Commentator Betts, speaking on the way Nehemiah was moving, says, there is a time for silent, prayerful, thoughtful contemplation, and there is a time to speak. Nehemiah shows here that he was able to discern between the two. There's a time to speak up. There's a time to say, come on, let's go. There's work to do. We can't wait. And there's a time to not tell anybody anything. What God's doing inside of you. What's a concern of yours and a burden of yours? There's a time for you to just move in obedience. Trust the Lord. Spend time praying. Nehemiah went four months sick to his stomach, praying through an issue, wondering how he might make a difference. Four months. Finally, God opens the door. The king asks. The rest is history. He gets to Jerusalem. And then you know what he does? Now he's on his third day of sneaking out at night, so to speak, to examine things. Church, may you be encouraged here today that there is a preparation that goes to working for God's glory. One commentator says, What made this mission especially important is that Nehemiah recognizes this. Nehemiah recognizes it is God who is placing this burden for Jerusalem and the desire to rebuild it on his heart. This is not just Nehemiah going, man, I'm tired of my hometown, always getting bashed by everybody. Man, everybody talks bad about my hometown. It's not that. There's an element of that. But it's deeper than that. Nehemiah senses and feels and recognizes that the glory of God looks ridiculous here. We're supposed to be a people that are a witness to the nations, the people of Israel are. And Nehemiah goes, we're not only not a witness to the nations, we're the laughingstock of the nations. We can't even keep our walls up. Nehemiah feels that. He prays to God for four months with sickness and sadness and burden. Finally, God moves him. He's a preparing. Talked about how Timothy. Let me take it back to Paul and Timothy. I talked about how Timothy was raised and taught and discipled by his mother and grandmother Lois and Eunice. We find Timothy late in the Bible, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, a true leader, a man of God. He has the gifting from the Holy Spirit to be a good, faithful pastor. Paul told him to fan into flame the gift that is on you. Man, go and do what God's gifted you to do. But do you realize that when Paul met Timothy, none of that was in place yet. Paul told Timothy, I'd like for you to come with me, man. I'm going on some mission trips. We're going to be traveling around. Can you go with me? And he does. And for a while, Timothy's just a guy on a mission trip with the Apostle Paul, seeking, learning, observing, checking it out. And it's not until sometime later that Paul says, all right, I'm going to leave Ephesus. I'm not going to be the guy here anymore. I'm not going to be the pastor here. I'm not going to be the preacher teacher here. He cries about it. We get that in Acts 20. He's upset. He's sad. He said, I got to go on. Timothy, you're going to stay here. There was a whole season of Timothy's life where he wasn't pastor. He wasn't thinking about being pastor. He wasn't doing this. That wasn't his job. That wasn't his responsibility. That may or may not have even been on his mind it was on pause it was a preparation time it was a preparation season to work for god's glory church we need to understand the weight of the responsibilities and we need to say what is god wanting me to do and how might i get myself fit for it how is god using me or able to use me what's god have on your heart and start putting yourself in position now don't be the person that right away runs out and tries to conquer the world and hit a home run in your first at-bat. Be the person that sits back and says, God, make it happen through me. God, I want you to use me, so make me usable. God, my family needs God, purify me. God, get me ready. My family needs it. My neighbors need it. My workplace needs it. God, prepare me to be used for your glory. We see this with Nehemiah. The detail and the preparation here is remarkable. That's why there's so many leadership lessons that come out of this book. The Bible doesn't tell us all the details. It doesn't tell us whether he, you know, he, he went to school and got him a degree in logistics and got a degree in engineering. The Bible doesn't tell us that about Nehemiah. Matter of fact, when we meet him, he's just a cupbearer, right? He's the guy that takes the drinks all the time to risk his life. But by the end of chapter 2, we're like, man, this guy's sharp. This guy's got some responsibility in his show this guy knows what he's doing. He's ready to take this over as commander-in-chief of Operation Jerusalem. Operation Build the Walls Back. But it's not so much because he was so gifted. You don't get any of that in Nehemiah. You get that he was burdened for God. He wanted God's glory to happen to his life. And so he moved by faith, determined for God to do it through him. That's our first point, preparing to work for God's glory. But secondly, right after that, and this is where it really gets good because now influence comes along. He is preparing to get others involved in the work. Number two, he is preparing to get others involved in the work. Verse 16 ends, and the rest who were to do the work. In other words, Nehemiah is thinking the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest are going to do this. Man, with a crew this big and this many people enlisted, we are going to build back the defensive walls of Jerusalem. We're going to build a big, massive concrete wall around the entire city of Jerusalem and it's all bad. It's shambles, it's shame, it's burnt, it's burnt down with fire. This is a disaster. It is embarrassing, it is. It led him into four months of heavy depression and mourning and grief. That's how bad it is. Nehemiah has also got in mind, hey, there's enough people here for we can do this. Ain't no way I could do it by myself, but there's enough people here. Hey, if they'll catch the vision, we'll get this done. But he's not running around saying that, so everybody thinks he's a loony tune on the first day. He's preparing for how he can do this to get others involved. In verse 16, he says, I hadn't mentioned to anybody yet. Those guys don't even know. Verse 17, he starts speaking. Look at verse 17. Finally. Finally, he starts talking. We've come a long way, right? We've come a long way from chapter one where he says, what's up, guys? How'd y'all find Jerusalem? We've come a long way from that initial question. Verse 17, we're in Jerusalem. The preparation and the inspections already happened. It's go time. Verse 17, he says, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. With every passing verse, I'm drawn more to Nehemiah. I like him. Nehemiah here gives them an honest evaluation of their condition. Church, we need more of this. We need to be able to be people who speak the truth in love. If something's not in good shape, we need to be able to say it's not in good shape. If our relationships are splintered, we need to address them. Why is there a splinter here? If our marriages are suffering, we need to hit that head on. What's the problem here? If your soul is conflicted, and looking in the mirror with silence and the TV turned off drives you nuts, you need to go head on with that. Invite a trustings are into it. Nehemiah is honest about how bad things are. He says, he wants them to no longer suffer derision, which means we are. The people of God and the place of God is a joke. Nobody. Nobody thinks they are the light to the nations. Nobody thinks they're the people of God, God's representative. Nobody does. They're they're built down. There's no conviction. There's no purpose. There's no strong obedience. There's no difference making. We're a joke. We are the people of derision, and we're suffering under that. He's honest about it. But he's not ripping them He's not like so many we've seen this week that just want to insult from a distance when something doesn't go well. Nehemiah here, notice, he's using the words we and us. That's good, isn't it? I think you know that leadership lesson there, right? It shouldn't be y'all and those people over there and them. Sometimes y'all come to me and and, and you say things like, y'all need to really do this at y'all's church. And I'm like, who's y'all? If you're a member of this church, you are equally as invested in the church as I am. It's our church. Nehemiah here says, we and us. Look what he says. We're in trouble. We are in trouble. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. This is a good thing. It's not they, them, it's not y'all. Beth says, listen to this. One of the noblest things that one person can do is to encourage others to do what they should be doing and then join them in doing it. It is a defining characteristic of one who genuinely desires to have an impact on others for God's glory. If you want to make changes need need to make, but you're just preaching at people at what they need to do and changes need need to make, and you know all the solutions, right? And you can point out all the problems, but you're not willing to step in and get involved with it, it's going to continue like that. Somebody has to say, I've got the burden, and I'm going to go make a difference. Nehemiah is showing us this. Nehemiah is desiring for the walls of Jerusalem to be built back. There's not a chance in the world that he's going to be able to do it by himself. He's going to need an army of people. And now he's talking. And what he brings up here is this is our problem. We. Us. Look at verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Now, let's stop right there for a second. When Nehemiah first drops it in verse 17, I mean, nobody has mentioned this, so much so that in verse 12, he says, nobody's mentioned this, I have told no one, it says in verse 12, I told no one what God had put into my heart, all right? Nobody knows what he's burdened about. Everybody just knows that Jerusalem's a joke these days. Nobody knows. And so when Nehemiah finally speaks up and says, look, guys, y'all know the trouble we're in, man. Things aren't good around here. Everybody, everybody jokes about our homeland. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to rebuild it. Let us, 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 you, 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 us, we are going to rebuild it. In that moment, you know, that's when everybody's kind of like, that's when Nehemiah is kind of like, how they receive that? Y'all with me? You're not with me? But look at verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. In other words, Nehemiah knows that there's questions. How? How are we going to do it, man? There's so much opposition to it, man. We've we've sinned against our backs on God. That happened. That's crystal clear from the Old Testament. The reason why they're broken down is because they've turned their backs on God. They've disobeyed God. And God said, if you do that, I'm I'm going to destroy you. And he did. So they're fully aware, like, God's against us now. And besides, the king, I told y'all this last week, Ezra 4, the king has already said, you cannot, it is a law from the king, you cannot build back Jerusalem. You're not allowed to do that. It's against the law. So they're thinking like, man, you're getting a wild thought here. I mean, I'm kind of with you. I wish we could, but we just can't. And Nehemiah answers back and says, man, I got two things to tell y'all. God's with me. He gave me this. The good hand of my God is upon me. That very verse is in chapter 2, verse 8. The good hand of my God is upon me, and he points out, and the king's behind me too. I got the letters right here. I got the permission from the king. I don't know how God did that, but he did. The king has totally swung from saying, stop building the walls to saying, Nehemiah, you go build the walls. How long do you need? Here's an army of horses. Here's an army of people. What else do you need? Here's the lumber that you need. How many boards you need, right? How much material do you need, Nehemiah? I'm behind you. Go do it. And when Nehemiah with the fire that God's put in him, with the months and months of prayer that God's put in him and the passion that God's put in him. When Nehemiah says, hey, we are gonna rebuild the walls. God's behind me, the king's behind me. Here we go. Look at what it says at the end of verse 18. And they said, Let us rise up and build. This is leadership at its finest, is it not? This is one man sick to his stomach over the state of Jerusalem, and one simple question, hey, how's it going? And they give a bad answer, and the next thing you know, there's an army of people united together with the prosperity of God behind them, with the king's permission behind them, saying, let's do it. Let's do it. All of us together, we can do this. We can conquer this. We can work together for the glory of God and accomplish this purpose. Nehemiah was prepared. Preparing to work for God's glory. And now we see Nehemiah preparing to get others involved in the work. It is a beautiful, beautiful passage on leadership, on momentum, and on the impact of a person who believes that God is working in a situation. Hands for verse 18. The very last sentence of verse 18. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. It's remarkable that it's gotten to this. But I want you to notice what's happening here. I want you to notice what's happening here. Have you ever heard the phrase that something is more caught than taught? You've heard that before, right? And we can have discussions on like, well, I'm, I learned like this, I need a textbook, I gotta read it. And other people will say, well, not me, I don't even need to read, I just need somebody to show me how to do it. If you'll show me how to do it, then I'll know how to do it. That's more caught than taught. Well, passages like this and some others show us that living for Jesus is like this too, that serving God can be like this. Notice what's happening here with Nehemiah. What God has been doing in Nehemiah over the last four months that we've been reading about and we've been observing, God is now doing in lots of people, right? What God has been doing in his heart over the last four months, God is now doing in lots of other people. Many people are now desiring to make a difference. Many people are now burdened and grieved, rightly so, for the glory of God, for the witness of God's name, for the witness of God's salvation and for Jerusalem. This is incredible. This is exactly what a church is supposed to be like. A church is a group of people who are burdened to live for Jesus and make a difference. And as they walk in faithfulness, not getting distracted by the world and by drama and all of that, and as they keep their eyes on Christ God creates more people that have the same desire and we see this happening through Nehemiah what we read about in the first two chapters that's happening individually with Nehemiah we now see happening with a whole crew of people looking to God believing God sensing yes this is what God wants us to do and it's because of Nehemiah's faith and obedience Nehemiah didn't start out going, okay, well, here we go. We're going to conquer the world. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Man, We're going to make the biggest and best thing you've ever seen. It wasn't that. Don't let your mind go there. It was burden and desire. God, make a difference. Use me. And God does. Because verses, verse 18, which is so good, happened because verses 4 and 5 happened. Look back to verses 4 and 5. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. At that point, nobody cared. At that point, nobody was thinking about this. But one guy was. He'd been sitting on it for a good four months, He'd been on his knees about it daily. He'd been asking God and asking God and asking God for God to do it. And you know what we have now? You got a whole crew of people desiring, yes, let's live for God. Yes, let's care about it. Yes, let's make a difference. God brought many people along in the work and in the faith and in the faith through one man who was walking by faith, who was living for God with conviction, who was trusting God with a faith-driven determination to make a difference. In 1987, JCPS, the city of Louisville, Jefferson County, did not have an FCA ministry in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. In 2023, most all of y'all have heard of FCA Little old Fairdale and little old First Baptist Church of Fairdale talk about FCA all the time. But in 1987, there was not FCA in the city of Louisville. And a man named Steve Wigginton, along with his wife Kim, said, we're going to start working here. There was not a staff person. There was not a staff. There was not a team. And 36 years ago, they started FCA for the city of Louisville. Do you know that this year, 2023, here in the city of Louisville, in the greater Louisville, there are 68 schools with a fellowship of Christian athletes. 168 teams in this city that have somebody like us stand before their team on a weekly basis and open up their Bible and share Jesus with them. This past week, I was up on Faraday's property with a cooler of Gatorades that y'all brought in just like this. Standing before a soccer team after practice with my Bible open, telling them about Jesus. 168 times a week, that happens. On a yearly basis, 5,000 teenagers here in Louisville get a Bible study through FCA. We cannot count how many people have come to know Jesus through the influence of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Last weekend in our church, we did a college retreat. We had a handful, 10, 12 students go. Some of them that went on the college retreat through this church, we met through sports at Fairdale High School through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Through our church, we have had people go into the ministry and are on staff at a church right now. We met through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. In our church right now, we have a deacon in our church that we met through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And if you go back far enough, there was not even a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There have been thousands and thousands of kids touched and come to know Jesus and lives impacted through that work. But in 1987, there was Steve Wigginton and his wife Kim saying, let's get it started and God's been using it ever since. That is not at all to give them the glory. He wouldn't even let me give him the glory if he was here, and some of y'all know that. But that is to say that if one person says, I believe God, and I want my life to count, that God will use them. This is what's happening in the life of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. You see him preparing to do the work for God's glory. You see him preparing to get others involved in the work, and lastly, this morning, Preparing for opposition to do the work. Preparing for opposition to the work. And this is where the passage gets real, right? And hey, the Bible never lets us just end with, oh, it'll be so cute and pretty. That's this, and all of a sudden everybody in churches shouldn't be sending that message. God doesn't say if you'll come here and do this, all of a sudden everything will go well for you. It doesn't. God doesn't promise that everything's going to be great for you. Life is so hard, and until you get to heaven, you're going to be limping there. That's the truth. It's okay if you crawl into heaven. It's okay if you trip into heaven. You better just make sure you get to heaven through Jesus. This passage sounds so good at the end of verse 18, doesn't it? I mean, I was fired up about five minutes ago. They said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And then you get to verse 19. we got two verses left. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard it, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us. One commentator says, Whenever the people of God do the work of God, it always stirs up the enemies of God. Whenever the people of God do the work of God, it always stirs up the enemies of God. It sounded so good at verse 18, and at verse 19 it's bad. Something else you want to notice is that now there's, it's, it's a growing number, in verse 19, there's three people named, but if you go back to verse 10, there were just two. The only two people that were opposing at verse 10 were Senballat and Tobiah, and now there's this other guy named Geshem. So the opposition is growing. There's always going to be opposition if you try to do something worthwhile. Opinions are all over the place. Has anybody heard what somebody thinks about the bus situation in JCPS this week? A lot of opinions out there, aren't there, aren't there? there? We got three guys here that are jeering at them, despising them. See, they don't know what you and I know. The reader's in such a good position. We are in such a good position here reading the word of God because we see what's happening with Nehemiah. I remember telling y'all that when we studied Job. Some of y'all might remember that a while back we studied Job. The reader is in such a good position to read Job. If you were not reading Job... From the heartbreak that the reader's in, it would be the worst horror story you've ever seen, right? It would be heartbreaking to read Job without knowing that God's behind this. And Nehemiah's story would be problematic too you and I would be stressed at verse 19 we'd be anxious we'd be tense we'd be thinking oh no right there's a turn for the worse man it all sounded so good until you got to verse 19 these three guys are going to put a stop to it they're in the way what are we going to do but we're the reader we're the believers we're we're understanding that God is behind this and so we we proceed with faith they're jeering at them and they're despising them and they say what do you think you're doing literally what is this thing that you are doing So they don't know that God's behind it. They don't know he's gotten the the king's permission. Last they heard, the king shut it down. They don't know about the prayers. They don't know about the open door. They don't know about that. They're doing like a lot of people do. They're proceeding through life only listening to their own thoughts. They don't know the truth. And guess what's happening? They're trying to stop what God has empowered Nehemiah to do. That's a bad position to be in. Church, if God is determined to one day exalt Jesus Christ over all creation, you ought to get on board. If one day soon every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord, you ought to bow yours right now. You ought to surrender your heart. You ought to say, God, not to us. Not to us, oh God, but to your name be the glory. You ought to say, God, I owe you my life. God, you love me so much. I trust in Christ. These three opponents don't know what God is doing through Nehemiah. They say at the end of verse 19, are you rebelling? That's not what he does. The king, was he? Not at all. That ain't Nehemiah. That's not what he does. He went with four months of prayer to the king. king, God opened that door. The king said, what are you requesting? He poured out his heart, and now the king is behind Nehemiah. These guys don't get that. These guys don't understand one bit the way God in his sovereign, providential ways works. Believers know that. The world doesn't know that. We know that God will open doors when God wants to open doors. We know that God goes before us. We know that God leads in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We know that if God is going to accomplish it through us, God will accomplish it through us. Where there's a will, there's a way by faith. And we know that. And we live that way. These guys have no clue. They think their negativity and their pessimism and their opposition and their unfaithfulness and their godlessness is going to stop Nehemiah and the power of God working through him. Not a chance. If we had enough time here, we could tell story after story after story after story about the way God has opposed those that are opposing him. How God accomplishes his purposes with power to bring it about. Last night, as I put my two little girls to bed and we opened up this little missionary book that we read each night at bedtime, it was a simple five-page chapter about Nate Saint and how he flew a plane into the, into the Amazon rainforest and how God used him and how there was opposition and all that. He was a a pilot going into the rainforest, and he got killed. You know what happened when he got killed? The next week, 20 new pilots from the USA contacted them and said, I'll take his place. 20 new pilots spoke up and said, hey, if he's not able to do that anymore, I'll do it in his place. You can oppose God and what he's doing all you want to, but you will learn quickly. God knows what he's doing, and he cannot be stopped. These guys are foolish, and the reader sees that. Verse 20, our final verse of the day. Then I replied to them The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. You have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem to make a difference, isn't it? But it's a verse of faith driven determination to make a difference. Y'all, it's a verse of confidence, it's not arrogance. It's courage, it's confidence. Did you know that the Bible teaches us that God gives confidence? It does. It's the idea behind I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the idea behind you are with me always. It's the idea behind apart from you I can do nothing. The Bible says that. In Proverbs chapter three, verse 26, it literally says, the Lord will be your confidence. is probably scared. Nehemiah is probably going, man, I am not a contractor. I don't even know. I don't even really know how to build the walls. But the good hand of my God is upon me, and these guys aren't going to stop it now. God is working through his faith. John MacArthur commentating on verse 20 says, Not only did Nehemiah have the king's permission and was not rebelling against the king, but Nehemiah had God's protection. Those enemies who tried to intimidate against the work, they had neither since they were not commissioned by God or the king. Nehemiah had God behind him and he had the king behind him. And so he moves forward by faith. R.C. Sproul commenting on the word prosper here, which is such a good thing, says, Nehemiah had requested success from God in chapter 1 verse 11. Let me show you that again. Chapter 1 verse 11, listen to this prayer. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And look at this, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He literally prayed in 111, dear God, give me success in this direction. He prayed for that. We don't preach a prosperity gospel, but we believe wholeheartedly that God prospers his people. We do not preach a prosperity, of Nehemiah, but we believe wholeheartedly that God prospers His people. And look no further than Nehemiah. Now Nehemiah is expressing confidence that the sovereign God will prosper the people. Church, what ha- what could happen if you and I, with this perspective, get involved? What happens to your street if you come at it with this attitude? What happens to your child's team if you come at it with this attitude? What happens to your workplace or your city or your world if you come at it with this attitude? No desire to to make it great necessarily, but a desire to represent God faithfully. Think about that. I remember about seven years ago. When me and Miss Tish Harden had a conversation about, do you think we could start a food pantry here? You remember that, Miss Tish? We had no idea what type of a food pantry we'd have. But I remember Miss Tish Harden saying, we can do it, and I can lead it. And boy, has she. Boy, has she led it. A faith-driven determination to make a difference for God will often find the blessing of God behind it as he pushes us in that direction. Church, whether it's a child that you're raising or a business that you're leading or a church that you're attending, may you trust the Lord and proceed. May you believe him like Nehemiah that the glory of God is in this. Who would have thought 30, 40 years ago The First Baptist Fairdale might be the most beautiful spot in town with a thriving playground that's open for everybody, mowed grass and a clean parking lot and a revolving door of people coming in and out. May God give you and I determination to say, God's behind me. His glory is in this and it matters. Hardest part. We're in games right now in excitement because they haven't started working, right? And the work's the hardest part. We know that. But may you and I be people that believe. If you're here today and the treasure of Jesus is not your treasure yet, would you? If you're here today and living for the glory of God, having purpose to your life hasn't captured you yet, would you? Trust in Christ today. Be saved. Join his family. Be the real church that says, I'm living for God. And watch him go to work through you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for the inspiration that comes from his faith-driven determination to make a difference. God, thank you for how you're using him. Thank you, God, that the opposition didn't do anything to him. God, we pray that you would get the glory through our lives. And anything that we're a part of, God, we're making it better. God, may South Louisville be better because of us. But not to our name, God, but to yours. Father, give us faith in Jesus, Christian faith to live for you. In your name we pray. Amen.